Welcome into NBA Sound System. We are here with you in Chicago in the lobby of the Sheraton in downtown, the home of the 2020 All-Star Weekend. But now, you know, we're turning the page to the second half of the season. Micah Adams alongside with Alex Novick. Alex, what's going on? Not much, Micah. It's been uh, fun having the, the whole NBA.com global team in Chicago. we got 13 writers and editors from around the world, from Japan, Argentina, Mexico, Spain, India, Canada, Australia, and Germany. It's a full house. It's a full house. we got guys from Buenos Aires eating Oreos for breakfast. <laughs> it's been fun to get you know, exposed to new cultures, and we're having a great weekend. There we go. Two of those guys here with us as well, Gil McGregor. Gil, what's up, man? Man, uh, just like Alex was saying, it's just great to be here. Nobody I'd rather freeze with at these below zero temperatures than the crew that we have here in Chicago this weekend. I would say after a couple of days of like eight degrees, it's like 33 outside and it feels like beach weather. Gives you new perspective on things for sure. Yeah. For sure. Kyle Irving also with us, the, the fourth man of our four-man weave today. Yeah, Mikey, you took the words right out of my mouth. This is the warmest I've ever been at 30 <laughs> degrees. I you know, walked outside to grab a coffee this morning, and I said, wow, it's actually really nice. I looked at the iPhone weather app, and it said it feels like 25, and I, I couldn't believe I said it. All right. You guy walking around with his shirt off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, shorts and shirt off. Yeah, I'm from, I'm from the Northeast. What's up? That lakeside beach across the street from the hotel never looked better in February than right now. Uh, plenty to dive into. We're going to go over the title favorites, the race for eight in the West, a surprise contender for the title of second best player in the Eastern Conference. But before we do that, we're going to run through the NBA stock market. We're going to buy, we're going to sell, and we're going to give you stocks to stay away from because quite frankly, they're too confusing for us to even process. So let's start with uh, the stocks that we're buying. Alex, what's one team or player that is currently undervalued that you should buy right now? You know what, I'm in on the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. I know they're, uh, I think, seven spot right now in the West. Uh, I think when all is said and done, they'll probably end up with the five or the six seed, and, uh, and I'm saying they're going to win at least one playoff series this year. So are you in the camp that you were not surprised at what Oklahoma City is doing right now? I was definitely not surprised. I uh, don't want to self-promote, but I did pick them. The <laughs> Warriors be out uh, at the beginning of the year, but no one cares about that. Um, really... They're 22 and 8 in their last 30 games. I think they filled a little hole uh, at small forward shooting guard with Lugan Stort, our, our Canadian friend. Um, and uh, they can play a number of different ways. Chris Paul is, you know, I, I know he hasn't had a lot of playoff success, never been to the finals, but I still, if he's playing the Nuggets, I'm, I got faith in uh, Chris Paul and the Thunder to, to win a playoff series. Yeah, okay, OKC entered the, entered the season with the over under of 31 and a half wins. They've already hit the over, they're on pace. Uh, 538 has them finishing with 47 wins, which would put them at, at more wins over their preseason over-under than any other team in the league. Uh, Gil, what are your thoughts on, on Novik's pick here with the Thunder? Well, I, I kind of write with them uh, on not being surprised by their success. I mean, Chris Paul is one of the greatest ever lace them up. He still has a little bit left in the tank, as we're seeing this year. Uh, he talked about Danilo Gallinari, another consummate pro, a guy who's a bucket getter who brings a lot to the team. Um, I'm excited to see what they can do in the second half of the season. I don't know if it's against the Nuggets, and we'll get into that later. But depending on that first-round matchup, I can see them uh, advance to the second round and, and surprising everybody. And Chris Paul gave you a nice little uh, shout-out. Chris Paul. Guy, fellow Demon Deacon. Yeah, fellow Demon Deacon guy I've known for, for some time, like the entirety of his NBA career. So it's really good to see him still playing at the, at the peak. So the two, the two of you guys at all are not surprised that somebody that has had no ability to stay healthy over the last three years <laughs> is suddenly Mr. Iron Man out there. Making the All Star team, 
not skipping a beat, the best clutch time score in the league, and you're going to both sit there with a straight face and tell me that you expected this to happen? What are we doing? This is like a hindsight hindsight 2020 at its best. That's fair. That's fair. I guess some things kind of came out that, that have kind of, and now it makes sense. You know, he talked about changing his diet. Uh, you know, it's kind of, I think he's pretty much like 90% vegan, which I, apparently is doing his body well. Uh, he's know, not eating Oreos for yeah, breakfast. He's not, he's, not, he's not eating Oreos for breakfast. Well, somebody told me that Oreos are vegan, so I don't know. We, we need to look that one up. But um, but another thing, we, we kind of talked about this uh, recently when we talked about the Udall situation. I think part of it maybe is the basketball guys rewarding him for sticking the situation out, playing, and, and going, all, going all the way through. I mean, he's handling the situation better than – Anybody could could. I think that he's you know NBA PA president, great great character guy who um, maybe with such a run of bad luck, it was time that some things kind of went his way. So I guess I could say it is surprised, but at the same time, it's finally good to see his bad luck has kind of run out. I I just want to call into question. You're if not the biggest Jokic fan in our office, the second biggest Jokic fan in our <laughs> office, and have been preaching Jokic for the past you know a couple weeks ever since we we uh, brought out that top 10 players in the next five years on our NBA.com site. You think that the Oklahoma City Thunder can take him out in the first round if that ends up being their, their opponent? Yeah, it kind of pains me to, to have to go okay. back on that. But, yeah, I think, I think they could. I don't know if Jokic's teammates are uh, really ready yet to, to support him. Is it, is it more Chris Paul over Jamal Murray than it is, like, say, Jokic and Steven Adams? Or is it you just believe in the Thunder as a whole with Shea and Gallinari than you do – in Will Barton and, you know, those guys, Jeremy Grant. That's a big part of it. I don't know how much Millsap has left. Um, I just think the the Thunder have more going for them right now. And Jokic is going to do his thing. Like, he'll probably average, average 25, 15, and 9 in the playoffs. But I think, uh, I don't know if that's going to be enough to put them over the top. Or if they play the Rockets, I think they can beat the Rockets in the first round. All right, there we go. You heard it here first. The Oklahoma City Thunder, a lock to win a first-round series. Uh, Gil, who are you buying? Well, it's funny after that. I'm buying the Nuggets. I'm buying the Nuggets, for <laughs> which, which is which is perfect timing for that. But um, I've just kind of been watching them, not necessarily just a little more closely, just seeing kind of how they're doing on a night-to-night basis. And some things that they've done recently have really impressed me. Um, a back-to-back they had uh, at the end of January, they defeat the Jazz at home, go to play the Bucks. You know, it was a, uh, the next night, you know, fly from Denver to uh, Milwaukee, play the best team in the league, and they end up, you know, doing away with, with the Bucks winning. The place is really tough to win, um, being the best team in the league on their floor. Um, and then recently, this this uh, just pretty much in the past week, um, they beat the Trailblazers at home again, go second night of the back-to-back to Utah, which is a really tough place to play, had seven bodies, and go out there and get a win uh, in Utah. I think that what that says about this team um, – I don't want to say they're on cruise control because they really haven't earned the right to do that. But I think that they have another level that they can tap into um, that they haven't necessarily, we haven't necessarily seen from them yet. Um, I think that's probably why we're a little underwhelmed by them. But at the same time, we're underwhelmed by a team that's at the all-star break second in the Western Conference. So in the second half of the season, I'm kind of looking to for them to show a little bit of that reserve that they have and, and kind of play off of their shortcoming last year because they've, they've been there before. They were right on the footsteps of being in the conference finals, and I think that that's staying with them. They're just ready for the postseason to come on. Well, back back in December, uh, Novik's boy, Jokic, served up a 28-14-12 against Jokic's own Oklahoma City Thunder. Since that point, he's been a cool 24-10-8 and on 55% shooting, shooting 40% from three, 80% from the line. Uh, Kyle, are you at all surprised that Nikola Jokic putting up, I mean, 
Uh, he finished in the top five of MVP conversation last year. He's looking like he might do it again this year. I'm not surprised because Jokic is a phenomenal player, and I don't want this next comment to be misleading uh, because I do think oh, just Jokic, say it. Just say it. This is the best the Nuggets are ever going to get. Wow. This, unless they make a move at some point in the recent in the near future, this is the best the Nuggets are ever going to get. They're a great regular season team. They're built to be a great regular season team. They're built to you know, win big regular season games on TNT, on ESPN. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of guys that are going to step up uh, or can step up, you know, in the regular season game in March, the TNT game in February. That's what they're built for. That's exactly what this Nuggets team is built to do. And I just don't think that any team in the playoffs is going to be afraid to go against this Nuggets team. Jamal Murray is too inconsistent. Jokic, like we said, is phenomenal. He's going to put up great numbers. He could average a triple-double in the first round of the playoffs. But like we saw last year, even against Portland, who was, for the, more, for the most part, shorthanded with Nicole, I mean, uh, with um, Yusuf Nurkic sorry, out, of, out of the lineup, uh, you know, they were still able to you know, get the best of them in seven games, even though I feel like the Nuggets were the better team all year long. I just don't think that the, the Nuggets have what it takes to you know, intimidate anybody in the playoffs. All right. One, one thing we haven't brought up is MPJ. When you say they're the best they could be, he's the, he's the wild card. Probably not this year, but I mean, that, that dude. I'll give you that. I, I do believe in Michael Porter Jr. Um, he's showcased that he can be great in the low amount of playing time that he's gotten this year, and he's slowly increased that playing time, and he's done more. Uh, in an increased role with extra minutes. And I think that, you know, he, he was hurt uh, t- going into the All-Star break, and it seems like he's going to be healthy right when the All-Star break ends. And I think that he's a player that they actually could tap into to try and reach a different level. I'm not saying that Michael Porter Jr. is going to all of a sudden make the, the Nuggets a team that, you know, uh, other teams are going to be intimidated to play in the first round, but he does definitely give them that potential, uh, you know, to get to that next level where they haven't exactly reached their ceiling. So you're you're a little bit, not necessarily selling all the way, but certainly you're not buying the Nuggets. Kyle, who are you buying as your stock? Well, I'm selling the Nuggets. but You're selling I, the Nuggets. You I'm actually sell, are. Yeah, I'm selling the, yeah, selling no, the Nuggets. I'm, I'm, definitely selling I'm the looking nuggets. at your computer and I didn't <laughs> see the Nuggets selling. No, that's not, that's not the team that I'm selling. I'm just I'm selling them right now in, in, this, portion, in this portion of the, uh, of the podcast. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm buying the LA Clippers, and this isn't exactly a hot take by any means. I mean, they were a team that a lot of people uh, dubbed to win the NBA Finals at the start of the season. And I don't even think that they're a team that people are necessarily down on right now. I think everybody is going to be on the same page that, you know, Kawhi Leonard, when he wants to, is going to turn it on. And he's been great, you know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, the past month or so. Um, Paul George has, you know, he's been injured and he's been on and off the court, and he hasn't been the Paul George of last year when he's on the court, but I think that he's another one again who, you know, he can tap into that extra level um, when he really needs to dig in and, and play well. Defensively, they haven't been the team that anybody expected them to, but again, I, even though the Clippers have never done this in the history of their franchise, I have faith that they can, you know, kind of flip a switch and all of a sudden become the team that everybody expected them to be in the offseason. But why, why beyond Kawhi Leonard? I, there's nobody in the world that doubts Kawhi Leonard's ability what has any of those other guys, top down on the entire roster, ever done to warrant trust that they can flip a switch? Yeah, that's like Paul. Paul, like playoff Paul George, is one of the biggest perennial disappointments. Right, I, and I'm not going to disagree with that either. But they're just guys that I trust. I trust Lou Williams. I trust Patrick Beverly to like raise his intensity and 
be able to come up with stops in the playoffs. I think Marcus Morris is a reliable source too. I a think. reliable source? Yeah, definitely. Marcus I think he's Morris, yeah, has, absolutely. Has, has he can knock down big shots, and he's not afraid of any matchup in the postseason. He's, he's not going to. He's 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 not going. But no, seriously, he's come on. You could put. Hey, Marcus Morris, you have to go out there and guard LeBron for you know one quarter of the game. Paul George has to guard him for one quarter of the game. Kawhi has to guard him for one quarter of the game. I'm going to trust Marcus Morris to try and get the job done in that one quarter. I, for one, am excited for Marcus Morris to decide that he's the one that should take the biggest shot of the season <laughs> instead of Kawhi Leonard. That would be his not downfall. Far no, that's not far-fetched at all. That would be his downfall. But again, he's someone that's not afraid to take the shot at least. The Marcus Morris heat check <laughs> down the stretch with two minutes left of a game seven in the second round is going to be something that uh, I, I can't personally wait for. Hey, but if it goes in, everybody's going to be you know praising them for making that trade at the trade deadline. <laughs> all right. There'll be more Clippers talk uh, later. Uh, I'm going to buy the Washington Wizards. I think that wow. the Wizards are a team that – Nobody has talked about in a positive light the entire season, and for quite frankly, for good reason. Yet, quietly, they're only three games out of the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. I think Bradley Beal is beyond pissed off that he's not here in Chicago. Uh, I have the Wizards as uh, a team that will rise up and make the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. That's crazy that they're three games out of the eighth seed. I mean, people were talking about them being a top five pick for next year. Pretty much seemed like the first two months, three months. Then they cut their, they got rid of their starting point guard the whole year, and Isaiah Thomas, and they're still right there. They can actually make the playoffs. I mean, Rui Hachimura is back. He's yeah, healthy. He's hurt. It says more about the Magic and the, and the Nets that they kind of it does. It's the a, Wizards hang around, but. They're literally one of the worst defensive teams I've ever, ever seen. seen. <laughs> ever seen. You're giving them 120 points per game. 120, 120 <laughs> points per Let's game. Let's go. I mean, I mean, I, I uh, luckily this week I got a chance to sit down and, and talk with Davis Bertans about the second half of the season and ask him what the biggest key to making up that three game gap. And understandably so, he said, get their defense together. Yeah. So, if, if, I mean, again, if they were able to be three games, you know, behind the AC while giving up 120 points per game, just imagine if they give up. 115 points per game for the second half of the season. <laughs> Watch out, Orlando. They could they could be there. Look, but at the same time, imagine how much Milwaukee would put up uh, in that probably four to five game series if they played the Wizards in the first round. The, the, the phrase is defense wins championships, not defense wins the eighth seed in the East. <laughs> so, I, you know, a defense good. completely that's optional good. in the nation's that's capital. Uh, all right, so the, we're, let's flip the script now. Let's, uh, let's dump on some teams. And let's uh, what are what are things that stocks that we're selling things currently completely overvalued that you fully expect to come back down to earth? Gil, let's actually start with you. Oh man, uh, well you know what, this is more of a concept than a thing. We kind of touched on it already, and I'm just like all the way out on it at this point. But this is the bottom of the Eastern Conference. I don't know if anybody's really overvaluing it, but people are like, oh man, you know, this team that like I just um. The Nets, and I, I get they've dealt with injuries this year and things like that. Um, the Magic are, you know, I, I feel like I should see we should see more from from these teams who are going to be playoff teams. Um, it's given me like kind of a, a lot to. There's a lot more to be desired, and you know, it, it makes you you want to see a little more a bigger test for the Bucks and the Raptors, whoever ends up finishing at the top of the Eastern Conference. So it's a little underwhelmed by the playoff race in the Eastern Conference. Last year, it wasn't great, but it was much better than it was this year. I think it came down to the end of the season with like the Pistons and the Magic and the Hornets and the Heat as well. 
So um, just looking from last year to this year, where, where the bottom of the Eastern Conference is, and I know it'll be a much different picture next year with John Wall back and Kevin Durant back, but this year it's just... You're relying on John Wall to, to, bring, <laughs> to be the floor raiser of the I mean, Eastern Conference? I mean, we're, 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 we're kind of grasping for straws at this point when we're looking. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who else. Maybe maybe one of these teams can uh, can pick up somebody, that the, the teams that don't really make the... then are not making the playoffs. I mean, the Bulls, the hometown Bulls, are, are five games out of the eighth seed, and they have kind of an exciting future if they look at from a talent perspective wow. so maybe oh, Mike Adams, uh, from, a, from a talent from a talent perspective but uh maybe if they get the right draft pick and make I'm, the right moves i'm not gonna take the bait that's too easy <laughs> we're, we're here in chicago it's supposed to be a fun time fun weekend looking at it in the second half you're trying to get me depressed getting my hopes up again whatever I'm, we're not we're not gonna spend any oxygen talking about the the future prospects bulls. of the bulls uh kyle what's a what's one stock that you're selling it's, other than the Nuggets, which you've already sold, you're the one person that gets to sell two teams here. It's hard for me to say, but it's the Toronto Raptors. Wow! And wow. You're to sell the team that's forty and fifteen. Wow! Why wearing drape here? I am. I am. <laughs> I'm gonna sell. I'm gonna sell the Toronto Raptors, and even though it's gonna come off as wildly disrespectful, it's more so just that their stock is never going to be higher than it is right now. Like they are coming off a historic win streak, the longest in Canadian Canadian professional sports history. Um, and you know, they're just, they're the same team as last year and they're gritty and they play good defense and they, but they just don't have Kawhi Leonard this year. And when it comes down to it in the playoffs and you're going up against Giannis or, you know, even like a Joel Embiid, I'm, I'm just not sure that Pascal Siakam yet is going to be able to be that guy yet to take them over the top the way that Kawhi did last year. I think the Raptors are great. I think they're gonna. You, you think know, they're, they're great, but you're selling them? Yeah, no, they are. But I'm selling them as a you know as a championship team. So, what, I, okay. so it's all relative. Sell? You I'm, think I'm, they can make the conference finals? I think the Raptors can make the conference finals, absolutely. But I don't think that they. I don't think they could be a championship team. I don't think that there's. I don't think there's any chance they could be a championship team. In a, in a series against the Bucks, what do they have any shot? Do you have like a, they, they win like one out of a hundred? Do they win like thirty percent of the time? They're probably losing five or six games to the Bucks, right? I mean. They beat the Bucks last year. I know they don't have Kawhi, but they made up a lot of that ground. Their score guys are picking up a scoring load, and you got OG now to replace that defense. You got RHJ to replace some of that defense. I don't think they're much worse than they are last year, and when they beat the Bucks. So I get what you're saying. No Kawhi is huge, but yeah, I think you know like when you look at playoff series and you think about why teams win playoff series when the teams are pretty evenly matched. Because I mean, I would I would not. I don't think it's that far fetched to say that outside of the top player, like. From I guess two to fifteen, the Raptors and the Bucks aren't that far off. I mean, Chris Middleton's an All Star as well, but the Raptors have two All Stars of their own. Um, but I do think that playoff series come down to who has the best player. S- simply put, last year in the Conference Finals, the Raptors had the best player. They were not nearly as deep as the Bucks were, I don't think. Um, but then Fred VanVleet kind of just came alive after a few games. Uh, this year, I think that it would have to be you know Nick Nurse. We've seen is not afraid to employ some different defensive strategies and tactics and with you know uh the the reigning mvp on the other other end if they're able to somehow either just force everybody else around you to be be for to beat you uh like you know like make it make it a thing where like okay can their role players beat our role players we'll do something weird to try and get Giannis out of it or if it's like let's just tire Giannis out and have him try to go for 38 40 a game and try and shut everybody else out. Um, I think those are two ways that they would 
try to to get past the Bucks. Easier said than done, but I think that might be the pathway for a team like that. The, the two thoughts that I always keep coming back to whenever we talk about the Toronto Raptors is, is one, it just they they haven't had their whole team seemingly the entire season. I think they finally had everyone back, and then Norman Powell and Marcus All get injured, and it's, I, I you know there's only three or four, there's only a handful of teams that have missed more games due to injury the entire season than Toronto, and yet it just doesn't matter. They had five different guys average at least 17 points a game during that 15-game win streak, which is wow. just nuts. Yeah, uh, it's between 17 and 22. Um, I, I kind of get like a weird like mid-2000s like Hawks vibe with the Raptors in the sense that they have a lot of really good players, but then like when the Hawks played LeBron, they got swept. You know, I, I, I could... I don't know if I would pick them to get swept by the Bucks, but I think Gil, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, what, so many times it just comes down to: Do you have the best player on the floor? And if the answer is no, and the margin's pretty large, I don't know. That doesn't bode yeah. well sometimes. Yeah. Based on what you're saying, though, with the uh, all the injuries and the different players contributing, Nick Nurse has to have one of the strongest coach of the year cases that we've seen in a long time. To have his team 40 and 15. I mean, do you take Nurse over your boy Billy Donovan with OKC? Yeah, because Billy Donovan's got a coach playing. On, in, yeah, and, and you knew this was all going to happen <laughs> with it. Oklahoma City, so that they are not overachieving by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Uh, no, but one team you're selling. So selling, I guess, implies that you own something at some point, and I don't know why anyone <laughs> would ever own the, uh, the Timberwolves, but uh, I'm selling on the whole uh, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns dream pairing that everyone seems to be pretty hyped about. I mean, the trade's a win because they... they Got in. Wait, you can't call it a win and sell it at the I same mean, when time. When you get Andrew Wiggins off your team and it's a $150 million contract, that's a win every time. But, and sorry, Canadian fans, but <laughs> the Angelo Russell, people are hyping this up. Yeah, they've been best friends and they're going to put up 120 points a game. I don't think that's not a winning combo by any stretch of the imagination. I think their supporting cast is pretty weak too. Jared Culver, I don't know if he's really going to. Uh, Ever turn into what they thought he might with the what six? To talk about a guy being exactly who we thought they were. Ever since that awful help defense against Virginia and DeAndre Hunter in the Final Four, we knew that guy. Yeah. Get him out of here. Worse than Chris Webber calling the uh, the time. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just not. People are saying they're one guy away from a big three. Just I'm not. I'm not buying that. I'm selling. Kyle, do you, are you are you agreeing with uh, with old man Novik over here about the the young gun young gun Minnesota Timberwolves? Yeah, I mean they can't play any defense, and I don't think that D'Angelo Russell helps that situation. I don't think that him and I think hey they're going to have a lot of fun losing together. They're going to be you know they're going to they're, they're going to they're going to have a lot of a lot of games where you know D'Angelo Russell had thirty three and Carl Anthony Towns had thirty seven and they combined for you know a billion points, but they lost the game one forty two to one thirty eight. And you know I don't think anything's changing in Minnesota anytime soon. No, I, I agree. I don't think it necessarily makes them a winning team, but I do think the one positive that can be taken away from it is just that it's like kind of like. A, a change in, in pace. They it brings a little bit of excitement, something at least to talk about. They seem like they had kind of been um, a repetitive cycle of disappointment. Not really, nothing really exciting to talk about. So at least you'll have your superstar, your franchise players, a little bit happier. I know we talked recently at, at our trade deadline pod. I, I called Carl Anthony Towns the winner of the trade deadline. I stand by that. Um, I think a lot goes to to talk about the morale of your of your guy who you're going to be paying a lot of money for a long time. Um, and, and having those guys together, who knows, maybe down the line they bring another one of their friends um, into the fold and maybe that changed the outlook of that franchise. But it all starts with, with uh, getting D'Angelo up there and at least um, 
give them kind of a shot in the arm to, to kind of move things in a different direction than they have been in the past. You, you, when you say another one of their friends into the fold, that is when I'm, that's why I'm just so out. Of, <laughs> you're trying to play with your friends? You what, you what, is, what is this? It's AAU. You can't, yeah. you can't bring an AAU team to an NBA fight. I think that that's also true. That's also true. I, I mean, I, I remember earlier this year uh, when when uh, the Timberwolves were in Charlotte, Carl Anthony Towns had a hoodie on. It was it was him, Devin Booker, and uh, and D'Angelo. Oh, and it's, it's that's it's, adorable. It's, 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 it's the good fellows on there. So if they can get the good fellows together, you know, you know, maybe guys, some guys play better when they when they're uh, when they're happy. Who knows? Who knows? I'm about to pull a Jimmy Ball. Uh, I'm, I would also be selling the Minnesota Timberwolves if I wasn't already. Uh, I'm, if I wasn't already selling the Memphis Grizzlies, that is who I am selling for the remainder of 2020. Their future is incredibly bright. We're going to talk more about uh, young cores in a little bit, as as well as the the race for the eighth. But I am selling the idea that Memphis is going to make the playoffs. I think they've been great. I think Jaw's been awesome. I do think that the move they met, uh, made at the deadline, sending out Jay Crowder. Uh, is actually going to take a little bit of the wind out of the sails there. I think they've been overperforming. And uh, I, they also have, by far, uh, when you account for home and road and days of rest and all that fun stuff, they have the hardest remaining schedule in the NBA. Uh, so I, I do think that while they have a little bit of a cushion now and they've been one of the NBA's best stories over the last month, I think that they're going to sort of sort of do what Sacramento did last year and kind of kind of fade fade down the stretch a little bit uh, to miss the playoffs. You talk about the cushion they have. I was looking at the at the break. They have a four game lead for for eight. Do you think that they that they'll that they'll be able to blow that over the last 25, 28 games of the year? I do, and I I think it's it's more so because I have I have more faith in the teams that are trying to catch them, and we'll get into exactly who that is here in a little bit. I just think that they're such a young team, and they've been playing so well. So it's it's hard for me to compliment them, but then also expect them to uh, fall down the stretch. But again, that schedule does not do them any favors. They have a lot of games against teams still battling for seeding in both conferences left, and I just I just think that Memphis is, is gonna gonna be in a, for a little bit of a rude awakening here uh, over the next six weeks. We'll say the one potentially saving grace for them. You look like the last like six to eight games of the season they played Toronto back to back home and home. Uh, Dallas, Portland, Denver, uh, OKC, Philly, and Houston. So some of those games I see either they can help themselves, like if they play Portland or um, OKC, or it could be teams that are already got their seating together and they're resting guys. So you know, close the season against the Rockets and the Sixers. You've seen it. It's, it's been. It's, I remember seeing it a few years ago. I think that Heat. It was the year that Heat started like ten and thirty-one. And they finished the year like thirty and ten or whatever. But it, they just um, they were unlucky at the end of the year. The team that they were uh, fighting with for the eight seed had the tiebreaker, and they were playing against a team that was resting their starters. Yeah. So I think there is a potential way. I kind of understand and see maybe them kind of overachieving the first half of the season. But I kind of envision a, a, a timeline where they kind of trip themselves into the playoff picture. They kind of stay into it like they. Sneakily, win a couple games they're not supposed to, but the teams might not necessarily like. They might be resting somebody or whatever the case may be, and I, I see them holding on just for that reason. Strangely, I think Dylan Dylan Brooks is going to come back down to earth at some point, That's right? Fair. That's fair. Like like, like Dylan Brooks. If if you were basing the All Star team just over the last like month and a half, like Dylan Brooks probably would have been here in Chicago. <laughs> he's been he's been outrageous. I like Brandon Clark in the second half of the season, though. I think filling in for Jay Crowder's minutes that he played at power forward. I think that Brandon Clark showed in he, in the you know 
kind of minority role that he had in the first half of the season where he was only playing 20 or so minutes a game. He showed that he could be a player that who eventually will be their starting power, starting power forward, starting center uh, at some point. Um, I think that he's going to prove that, you know, he's ready to take on a little more responsibility in the second half of the season. And I'm not saying that, you know, Brandon Clark is going to make or break whether the Grizzlies make the playoffs or not. But I think that he could be, if he steps up, he could be a big reason that they do hold on to that eight seed and, and make the playoffs. I hear you. All right. We're, so we're stealing too much from the, uh, the next conversation we're going to have where we have to defend. One of us has well, to what, defend Memphis Grizzlies. What, so. let's, let's save, save what you're going <laughs> to save. Save that for a couple minutes from now because we, we will get into that little mid-pod tease. Okay. Uh, but before we dive into that, so – those are stocks that we're buying, they're shelling. I want to ask you guys each a stock that you're completely staying away from in the sense that uh, it's just too confusing. You have no idea what's going to happen and uh, chaos rules off. So what's, what's one complete stay away? I'm staying away from the Pacers. Since Old Depot came back, it's been a weird situation. They're 2-6. and six. He's been jacking up shots like he never left, shooting 33%. And I'm sure some of those guys in that locker room are thinking – you know, we had a good thing going here. What's going on? I know you were awesome two years ago, but, I mean, T.J. Warren was averaging 21 points a game on 62% shooting the, 11 games, the last 11 games, and now Old Depot's taking his shots and, and breaking them. So it's kind of a weird situation there. They're still, like, firmly locked in that 5-6 range in the, in the East, so it's not like they're going to miss the playoffs, but it'll be interesting to see how, how that plays out and if, uh, if maybe McMillan has to kind of tell Old Depot to, to cool off a little bit. Do you not think it may be like a, a rust element of it to where maybe when he's like 15, 20 games in where we're looking at that final stretch late March, early April, he's kind of back to not I don't think I don't think anybody expected him to be who he was in that cast series and who he was before the injury last year. But if he kind of gets back and maybe just the same or equal efficiency, just a smaller usage, then maybe he can kind of find I think that I think that's kind of hard for him as, as a star too to kind of find your role and accept a, a smaller role kind of as like a, like a rehab assignment just with the guys you are used to being the, the top guy with it. you think that maybe there's, there's a rust element to it yeah for sure he's rusty I don't, I don't think there's a question about that i always just thought this is a guy that built his reputation off of one season where he had he was decent up until two years ago two years ago he went off and then everyone kind of anointed him as like one of those top 20 top 15 players in the league Fair. and now like last year he came back to earth a little bit before he got injured and now he's he's still operating like he is that superstar when you know it might not be marked and you got all the really good players on that team that deserve the ball since uh since oladipo came has come back he if you look at the pacers clutch time stats he's taken 10 shots twice as many as demontis sabonis mm-hmm. Uh, and Oladipo just two of ten wow. in those high leverage situations. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure really what's going on uh, there in Indiana as well. Gil, what's your stay away uh, moving forward second half of the season? I feel like I've said this a number of times in one way or another, but I'm staying away from the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, um, <clears throat> pretty much the definition again. Like, I have no idea what will happen. I'm, I'm confused by it. The Sixers could very well get hot at the end of the year like they did a few years back and make a conference finals run. The Sixers could very well get cold at the end of the season and just have some infighting in the locker room and lose in the first round. And, you know, we I think that either way, we wouldn't be surprised by it. It would be like, oh, man, the science have been there all year that this team was going to be out in the first round. Or it's like 
oh man, the signs have been there all year that they had put the right pieces together to to make this run in the year. I personally picked them as, as my finals pick at the beginning of the year, which is not has not aged very well. Um, but yeah, I'm just staying away because I have absolutely no idea what to make of what the second half of the season brings for the Philadelphia 76 I don't have any idea what to make of them, like night in, night out, right? They they beat the Clippers. They look like the best team in the, in the league, and that comes on the heels of a losing streak in which they look like they shouldn't even make the playoffs. I, they're, they're, the weird, they're the weirdest team, I think. Uh, I can remember. I, I like in all, in all seriousness, looking over the last couple of years, I can't think of another more confounding team than Philly. When people are touting Glenn Robinson the third as the midseason pickup, that's gonna <laughs> cure all. <laughs> I like Alec Burks, but yeah, they get, they need some help. They and the fans aren't helping either. I don't know if there's a team that has more pressure on them in the second half of the season. There's, there's no team that has more at stake in the second half of the season than the Sixers. I mean, Brett Brown's job is on the line. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons' future is on the line. There's, you know, the, the Sixers are playing for their life. They're playing for the process <laughs> in the entire second half of the season. Everything that they worked up for all throughout the process, trusting the process, is going to come down to the second half of the season because if this team were to lose, I would say anywhere short of the conference finals, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be moves to be made. Brett Brown's probably going to be fired. They're I don't want to say they're definitely going to part ways with either Embiid or Simmons, but you know Philly media might speak that into existence at this point. I think there's a lot of a lot of pressure on the 76ers, and it's going to be interesting to see if they feel that pressure in the second half of the season. Yeah, I'm not sure that they've that they, so it, it's weird. We had a conversation earlier about how what have the Clippers done to earn the right to have your trust in the sense that they can flip any sort of stretch. The Philadelphia 76ers have not won anything of significance and they walk around like they're going to roll to roll to the, the NBA finals on talent alone. Uh, and really they have not strung together any semblance uh, of a consistent streak that makes you think that they can do anything uh, of note come playoffs. That said, Gil, they're awesome. I stay away because we're saying all this and, who the hell knows? Maybe they're gonna maybe they're gonna sweep their way and go fo 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 and I, <laughs> who knows? Fo fo fo. Kyle, what's your uh, what's your stay away here? I'm staying away from the Miami Heat. Uh, they're another team that I really just I, I'm not sure what to make of them. They play hard, and I, Eric Spolster is a great coach, and I, I like Jimmy Butler too. But I, I'm just not sure that the the Heat are a team that are capable of making that type of run to the NBA Finals. Um, I like the young guys. I like Kendrick Dunn and Tyler Harrow. Uh, you know, people are kind of high on the Andre Iguodala signing. Uh, I mean, a trade along with Jay Crowder coming in. But I'm just not sure how much better. I'm not sure if that move takes them over the top as a team that can take out the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs. Um, even though I like Jimmy Butler, I like Eric Spolstra, I like how hard that team plays. I'm staying away from the Heat in the second half of the season because I'm not sure what to make of them. All right. The Miami Heat, well represented here uh, at All Star Weekend. Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, uh, Derek Jones Jr. Don't yeah, that's him. right. No controversy there at all. None at all. None. None. All right, so that's our NBA stock market. We're going to switch gears now to a conversation that's a little bit of the bigger picture. And I think sometimes, you know, over the course of the season, we we get caught up in win streaks, losing streaks, sort of a prisoner of the moment, talking about what's. Um, What's sort of the, the the flavor of the moment, if you will? But taking a step back, one of the one of the predominant themes of All Star Weekend is that youth has been served. There are the the most twenty four and under All Stars ever uh, in all of NBA history here in Chicago this weekend. Young players 
certainly on the rise. And I want to talk about three teams specifically because they are two of them uh, are ones that were uh, dramatically impacted uh, at the trade deadline. The Memphis Grizzlies uh, in the Andre Godella trade getting back Justice Winslow, adding yet another young piece. And then the Atlanta Hawks uh, in that massive four-person or four-team, 12-person trade, they got Clint Capella. So I want to put it to you guys. Between the Atlanta Hawks, the Memphis Grizzlies, and the New Orleans Pelicans, who has the case for being the best young core in the game? I'm going with the Grizz. I know we already talked about them for a while. I'm the wrong guy to try to convince, but try to convince me. Well, I want to get at you for one thing you said earlier. Let's Jay, go. You're saying Jay Crowder. They got rid of Jay Crowder, and that might be a reason that they that they fall out of the A spot. Do you know what Jay Crowder was shooting? What it's not good. It's very good. 29% from three, maybe? Yeah, 37% like overall. Hey, you shoot 29% from three. Our friend Scott Rafferty wants to get you in the All-Star game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout out Scott back in Charlotte. Um, yeah. I was looking at his game log. Eleven times this year, he made one or zero shots in a game, and this is a guy who's jacking him up nonstop. I mean, he's got he's got the green light. This is the king of one for eight, two for nine. All right, is Jake, Jake Crowder, he can at least play? Just as Justice Winslow going to play? Can he ever stay healthy? Well, that's the big wild card for me for this team. Uh, I really think Justice Winslow could be a glue guy, a glue guy that uh, kind of pulls it all together for them. And if he can stay healthy, he's got. A, I was surprised that he actually gave up on him that early, and he's he's got a, a chance to really put this team to another level. I mean, it all centers around uh, John Morant. This guy, I'll, we're talking about the uh, the Pelicans and the Hawks. I'll take him over Zion. I'll take him over Trey Young. I think. Whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. You're going to take John Morant as a long term guy over Zion Williamson and Trey Young without even without even. With why? How can you possibly say without even a thought? Well, I mean, first of all, he's got his team 20 and 26 as a, as a rookie. I mean, he's playing probably better than any rookie we've seen in a long time. He's, he does special stuff on the court. He's got vision that, that most guys don't have. I mean, just the eye test with him, you could tell he's, he's going to be on another level, let alone his numbers, which are absurd for, for a rookie right now. And uh, I think he's a guy that, that pulls other, makes other guys better. And, and guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., are only going to be much. He said it actually yesterday in, in media day. Like he's going to be way better in his career playing alongside John Morant, Brandon Clark. You talked about he's a he's a stud. Another he, he's a perfect you know kind of blue guy with Justice Winslow to go along with Morant and Jaron Jackson. And uh, Dylan Brooks is better than anyone thought he would be. He's going to come back to earth, but he's playing well. And and Jones Valanciunas might be the most underrated center in the game. So and they're all what. 25 and younger. Valentinus might be 27, 28, but this team is loaded for the future and, and at every position. So I'm, I'm, I'm buying them over those other two for sure. Okay, Gil, what about, are, are, you, are you in the camp that Memphis is sort of the without a doubt about it team for tomorrow? I mean, they're definitely going to be a team to, to be reckoned with in the future. No, not, not a team to be reckoned with. Are they the team no, to be reckoned with? No, 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 no. This, So who this, is? This just stands out because the three teams we named, they're the only one without an all-star this year. Um, you know, the Pelicans and the Hawkins have one, and I'm, I'm going with the Pelicans. The That's Pelicans, a good argument. The Pelicans all-star, 22-year-old Brandon Ingram. I mean, they also have three guys in the game. The Pelicans future is so bright. They have 29-year-olds in the Rising Stars game. I mean, <laughs> how, how, how many, how many teams good. can say <laughs> that? How many teams can say that? But, but seriously, um, you know, Brandon Ingram has really come into his own uh, as a player this year and as uh, the well-deserved 
all-star recognition he's gotten. Zion Williamson, I'm sure if he had played in more than 10 games, he'd probably have uh, this Pelicans team with a comparable record to the, the Grizzlies one. I mean, obviously, he's the future not only of this franchise, but the future of the league alongside Giannis and uh, Luka Doncic. I think that with him as the, uh, the, the I guess, the nucleus and, and the, really the force, and I think he and Brandon Ingram really might be that two-headed monster. And now we, I think Brandon Ingram is much better than we expect him to be. And the fact that they're so young, I mean, Jackson Hayes is 19, Nikhil Alexander-Walker is 21, Frank Jackson 21, Alonzo Ball 22. Um, these are all guys who are going to kind of have the same bumps and bruises on the same timeline. They're going to develop together. They're going to learn together. Um, also, they have great vets in the locker room. J.J. Reddick, Etwan Moore, Drew Holiday. I think that um, Derek Favors as well. Uh, a lot is to be said about them learning the, the game the right way, learning how to be professionals the right way. Um, and, and it all starts with Zion. I think he is going to be one of the best players in the league, if not the best player in the league, in the next four to five years. And when you have the best player in the series and the best player in the league, you have a pretty, pretty good future. Alex, you're rolling your eyes over here. 10 to 20 Zion. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's, my, that's my name for him. I think it's blasphemy to say that Zion's not going to be a top five player in the league right now. You said someone, they look at you like you're, you're insane, but I'm not seeing it. His handle is... He's, he's going to be really good. He's going to put up 28 and 12 probably in his sleep, but I don't know if he's a guy because of his handle, because he can't shoot free throws, his inconsistent jump shot. I don't know if he's a guy that's really going to elevate teams to the next level. I know that's crazy to say, but I think he'll fall between that 10 to 20 range among the best players in the NBA when all is said. Guys shot better from three at Duke than both R.J. Bear and Cam Reddish, and Cam Reddish oh. got taken in the top 10 wow, as Cam, maybe the best shooter of the draft. Cam Reddish is going gonna, is gonna to be your argument? That guy, I mean, Mr. <laughs> talking about Jake Crowder shooting 37%. Cam Reddish can't break 33 and couldn't even do it at Duke, and R.J. Barrett hasn't. Tell him why you're really mad. So speaking of Cam Reddish, he's one of the young players on the Atlanta Hawks. Kyle, you're big. You're huge on the Atlanta Hawks. In fact, you're bigger on the Hawks than both the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. Tell yeah. us why. Do you remember when we were talking about how the best player on the floor uh, helps your team prevail through the playoffs? Well, kind of like how Alex said that he feels that the Grizzlies are the best because John Morant's the best player of the group. I think Trey Young is the best player of the group. And while Trey Young has been a liability on defense, I just think that talent-wise, he, he's better than John Morant. And granted, it's John Morant's rookie year. It's Trey Young's second year. But I, I see more in Trey, in Trey Young than I do in John Morant. And with Zion Williamson, I'm actually going to lean more towards Alex's side. We had a conversation about this yesterday. Incredible. Than I am on, on Gillard Micah's side. I do agree that he's, I mean, again, like Zion is phenomenal. And like you said, he could probably get 28 and 12 in his sleep. But, you know, as a, as a defender down low, I don't necessarily love him. Uh, I don't see him being this player that's going to be able to create his own shot off the dribble. Uh, like you said, suspect jump shot. And I just like Trey Young right now, but it's more than just Trey Young. I think that, you know, throw all this stuff with Robert Covington and the Rockets playing small ball, and there's just so much going on. There was so much going on with that trade that, like, nobody – also it has to do because Clint Capella's hurt, but nobody has even – like once mentioned that Clint Capella is on the Atlanta Hawks now. And I understand it's because the Hawks are one of the worst teams in the NBA and they're without a doubt the furthest away from being good for, uh, between the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. But Clint Capella is an amazing addition for them. He's going to be great playing alongside Trey Young. And another player, another, another shout out to Gil's boy, John Collins, has been fantastic over the last month. Well, the last month, John Collins averaged 24 points and 11 rebounds a game, shooting almost 65% from the field. Um, he's been John Collins, extremely impressive uh, alongside Clint Capella and Trey Young. I think they they could be great. And 
even though I don't love what I've seen from Cam Reddish, I don't know how anybody could love what they've seen from Cam Reddish so far. I think between between him, DeAndre Hunter, and uh, my boy Kevin Herter, I think that if, you know, whether it's Hunter or Reddish can step their game up, I think those guys are valuable as trade pieces to bring in maybe one more uh, piece alongside Trey Young and Clint Capella and John Collins to take that Atlanta Hawks team over the top. So, so you, are you, are you going to tell me that since the – the Atlanta Hawks got a center that Houston said makes us worse, and they willingly they willingly got rid of Clint Capella because he was someone that was holding them back. And that's a team that really wasn't really going. Uh, I don't know. Houston Houston is so desperate that they are willing to just siphon off Clint Capella, and you think he's enough of a difference maker to catapult the Atlanta Hawks beyond Memphis, beyond New Orleans, as as sort of one of these teams of the future. Yeah, absolutely, because. He doesn't fit what the Houston Rockets wanted to do. Like, I, I actually agree that he was holding the Houston Rockets back, but it's because he doesn't fit their mold that they're trying to play. I mean, Clint Capella's not going to go out and shoot eight threes a game and stretch the floor and allow them to play the style of basketball that they want to. But alongside Trey Young and with John Collins, is like another pick-and-roll guy, another lob target for Trey Young, who is one of the best passers in the, in, in the NBA, probably a top three, top four passer in the NBA. I think that he's going to be great alongside. And he adds another inside presence, a big guy who, at the beginning of the year, and granted, like, I mean, people dubbed the, the Bulls as a potential playoff team, the Hawks as a potential playoff Two team. Two Bulls references now. Sorry, Man, sorry. That's Mike. way sorry. Uh, sorry. But sorry. I, I'm just saying that. We don't need to talk. We're not here to talk about the past. <laughs> there, was, there, was a lot, there was a lot of talk about, you know, in the near future, if the Atlanta Hawks could get a legit center, that that could be the, the piece that takes them over the top. And Clint Capella, was, he's been pretty awesome this year. And I think that he's just going to fit the mold of what Atlanta's trying to do perfectly alongside Trey Young. No, I agree. I, I, again, shout out to Scott Rafferty. Uh, went on Twitter immediately after that. And Trey Young expressed excitement. And Scott kind of shared a thread of some plays where Clint Capella and Trey Young are really going to um, thrive and excel alongside one another at, at pick and roll. And you talk about John uh, and his uh, develop, development as a shooter. Uh, just an offensive threat as well. I think that'll just help them along ac- across the board, just what they do offensively. And the young guys, as you talked about them having, young guys are, are willing to do better. Same thing with Zion and, and kind of the, the weaknesses you talked about. I think 19, 20, 21-year-olds, there's so much room for them to grow as they learn the NBA game and things like that. It makes for an exciting prospect for, I mean, you know, to, to, to be the, the friendly, like like the Devin Booker, friendly friendly thing, you know, that all, <laughs> it's, all the, the, it's all your best friends, you know, it, make, it makes all, all it makes it exciting for all three teams that we talked about for sure. All right, so that that is uh, three of the most exciting teams moving forward, certainly beyond 2020 uh, down the road, but let's now focus back in here on the home stretch, about two more months left in the regular season. The playoffs will be here before you know it. So, and looking ahead to the second half, uh, we're going to play a quick game here. I'm going to give you guys a bold prediction, and then you're going to tell me whether that's too hot, too cold, or just right. So let's just start it off with talking about the big boys. Let's get right into it. The NBA title favorite, 538, currently has the LA Clippers with a 22% chance to win the title. That is the highest among any of the teams. So right now, the Clippers are the favorite to win the NBA title. Too hot, too cold, or just about right. I think it's too hot. We talked about it last uh, last podcast that Kawhi and Paul George have not really been able to mesh together. There's a lot of mouths to feed. Who's going to take the last shot? We just talked about it earlier. Marcus Morris might be stealing the last shot. Uh, I think I, I think next year might be their year. 
And I'm too hot well as well, uh, kind of to Alex's point. We don't even know what they're going to look like when they're like at their final form once they go into the playoffs. So there's no way to make some type of prediction of what their ceiling is. And we don't even know if they're going to figure it out. I think it's too hot and it has nothing to do with the Clippers. The Bucks might win 70 games. How are they not the favorite to win well, the NBA Finals? Well, because because I think I think the conversation about the Bucks, right, is a are they just a great regular season team? Have we seen enough from them knowing what we knowing what happened with them last year losing four straight to Toronto and a series that, you know what, a couple shots go the, go differently in game three they're up 3-0 and who knows maybe they sweep toronto and then maybe we're talking about the bucks trying to win 70 and trying to win back-to-back titles but uh so you're in the camp that the bucks are the favorites to win the title yeah i think the bucks would be the favorites to win the title they they have not done anything that's proven otherwise so far this season they've been absolutely ridiculous and it just seems like Giannis is you know on this tear that he might not be able to be stopped and he's not going to stop until he gets a title yeah i think for me I think I actually do think I think it's just right. I think the Clippers are still the favorites to win the title. And I know that I was just sitting here crapping on them and so like what if what if they won? Like why does Paul George deserve the benefit of the doubt? Why does Marcus Morris deserve the benefit of the doubt? Uh, why do any of them? And I just think it's it's just all Kawhi Leonard. I think he's that good, and I think that talent wise, this was always a team that was built more for the playoffs than the regular season, anyways. And I know that even when they've had all their guys together which has not been often um that they, they've not been great i think we talked entering the season about how Kawhi leonard and paul george and patrick beverly had the chance to be like the best defensive perimeter trio since like the the jordan scotty ron harper bulls and those three on the floor together i think they, they have a defensive rating that wouldn't even be in the top 10 in the league so like there's not a lot of evidence beyond just the trust and preseason expectations that they'll figure it out that said I kind of think I kind of still think that they'll figure it out. No, nothing. Did you did you not just sell them? Oh, you're selling the Grizzlies. Come on now, don't don't put words into my mouth. (laughs) We're not here spreading false rumors on NBA Sound System. All right, moving on now. The race for the eight is uh, potentially the most. I don't know if it's the most contentious, given that Memphis has a sizable lead here. But I do want to throw some something out at you guys. Again, leaning on our friends at 538, the Pelicans are the team most likely to finish 8th in the West. That's surprising. That's too hot, too cold, or just about right? I think that's, uh, that's too hot. I mean, I got, I got to stick with the Grizz after, after everything we just talked about. I think they're going to they're gonna take the AC. And what are the, the Pelicans are five, six games back right now. I mean, I don't think 10 to 20 Zion is going to really be uh, <laughs> making up that much ground. So, I'm that's that's too hot. <laughs> I love the ten to twenty three <laughs> fix. Um, I know I was saying the Grizzlies are, are probably gonna slip into it, like I guess trip upwards into it. So I guess I'll say just about right. I mean, um, it doesn't necessarily mean I think that they're gonna do it, but I do think they have the best shot at doing it. Um, we talk about just logic and schedule strength and them coming along and getting their bodies together because they're another team that hasn't really been healthy this year and in years past. Um, I, I think the Grizzlies edged them, but I think it's going to be really, really, really close. And I think that this gap that we're talking about, that we're looking at, that looks like insurmountable, it won't be as big as it is uh, by the end of the season. And for what it's worth, I mentioned 538. The, the percentages that they currently have, they have the Pelicans with a 46% chance, the Blazers with a 37% chance, and the Grizzlies with just a 12% chance. Man, that no seems respect. a little low. No, no respect. respect. Uh, so a lot of that is is the schedule, which I know that they take into account. 
The Pelicans have one of the one of the easiest in the league. The Memphis Grizzlies have the league's hardest schedule. John Moran wasn't even a top 100 recruit coming to college. People have been underestimating him his whole life. He wants that 12%. So you're going to say John Moran's high school scouting report is the reason that the Memphis Grizzlies <laughs> hold on to finish He's got that chip on his shoulder, and this is only helping it. All right. Uh, okay, moving on now to the Eastern Conference. Kyle, this one is for you, our resident Boston Celtics fan. Jason Tatum has been scorched earth the last month of the season, averaging almost 20, 29 points a game, uh, shooting over 45% from three, about 50% from, from the field. In the second half of the season, Jason Tatum will be the second best player in the Eastern Conference. Too hot, too cold, or just right? Give me just right. Let's go. Just right. Uh, Joel Embiid would be my pick for that second best player in the conference on the nights that he feels like giving it 110% effort. But if we're going to count the nights where Joel Embiid doesn't feel like giving 110% effort, I'm going to say it's just right that Jason Tatum is the second best player in the Eastern Conference in the second half of the season. He's been even better since he earned his first all-star bid. He's turned into that closer down the stretch. And Kemba Walker's talked about it throughout this season. First off, Kemba Walker is an extremely selfless player. And I think that he realizes how, how talented Tatum is. And I, I really do think that, you know, when it comes down to it in the playoffs, we're going to see this kid knock down some massive shots. And I think that even though, you know, he hasn't been the most efficient player, his efficiency is down this season. I think he's taking better shots. Uh, a lot of the reason for his low efficiency is because he's not finishing around the rim that well, but he's still getting to the rim. He's getting to the free throw line more. Uh, he looks like he's playing with his confidence through the roof at this point, and I think that goes a long way as well. I like Jason Tatum as the second-best player in the East in the second half of the season. Just, that's just about right. You know, Watching him in the last game before the break uh, have his way against the Clippers, clutch shot to clutch shot against a team who's pretty good on defense. Um, he's really coming to his own as a budding superstar in this league. And you look at what he's doing, the body of work, and the fact that, you know, we talk about young guys, talk about how young he is as well. Um, he just, he's only getting better. You know, it's this pretty scary prospect for him moving forward. So we're, are, we're, we're comfortable then anointing Tatum over Pascal Siakam and Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler. For the second half of the season. I think it's more of an indictment on the rest of the Eastern Conference to say that, that he might be the second best player. But I, I do think it is just right. Last 14 games. 26.6 points, seven rebounds, three assists, one and a half steals, one block, shooting 50% from the field, 44.5% from three. I mean, that's, that's second best player in the East for sure. Uh, but I do think, you know, you put him in the West, he wouldn't even be top. Well, would, would he be Brandon Ingram? <laughs> would he be down top 15? <laughs> top 15? Do you think Jason Tatum in the West? A t- top 15 player in the West? We don't have time to go through all that, but I don't. Wow, I don't think that's hot. That, we're saving that for another. But I will say the one, the one thing that Jason Tatum has significant. Well, two things that he's significantly improved on. He's now getting to the line, and I know that for a long time the biggest knock was Jason Tatum that he didn't draw contact, he didn't get to the line, he didn't get free points. Uh, I believe over the last month he's averaging about seven free throw attempts a game, which is on par with the likes of of Russell Westbrook and Damian Lillard. So that's certainly a big part of it. And then, uh, you know. To talk about both ends of the floor, unlike your boy Trey Young, Kyle, Jason Tatum has, has evolved into a pretty dynamic defensive player capable of, of guarding everyone to the point that, you know, we talk about Houston going super small. Brad Stevens will at times have no problem letting Tatum soak up minutes playing center. Yeah, again, I, confidence goes so far. I think that, like, he has just mentally told himself that he's going to be a great defender. 
and it's just helped him raise his game to another level. He's, his confidence level is through the roof right now. I don't think that there's any player, well, maybe outside of Giannis Antetokounmpo, I don't think there's really any player that Tatum is going to be matched up against that he's not going to bet on himself and trust himself to try and lock them down at this point. All right. Well, we are all high on Jason Tatum here. This is a, turning into a Boston Celtics podcast. Let's end on this, though, because Jason Tatum is – there's a reason that we talked about him being the second best player in the Eastern Conference, and it's because nobody in that conference has any prayer of catching Giannis. So I put it to you guys. Simply put, the MVP race is over. Yeah, that's just right. It's over. I think I, I had made a point during – Damian Lillard's ridiculous run that he had leading into the All-Star break that he could literally average 40. And I'm not saying that Damian Lillard's second in the MVP race. It's definitely LeBron James. Luka Doncic is still up there. But like to think that a player of Damian Lillard's caliber could have averaged probably 45 points in 10 assists a game for the rest of the season, carried his team into the playoffs, and he wouldn't even be considered for the MVP trophy because of how good Giannis Antetokounmpo has been, I think that says a lot. I, don't th- I think it's over. Giannis has it. Is there a way I can say that's too cold and say it's like a stronger word than it's over? Is he going to be unanimous? Is he going to be the second unanimous one? I think that's that's the next step. I think if if they go out there and and get to that 70 win plateau, as it looks like they're going to, and he just continues his insane numbers in, you know, the the short amount of time that he's in the game, they keep, you know, doing away with teams. Like, there's not really anybody. Like, they're, and, and that just goes to show how well he is and how good he is at 25 because. There are guys who are having great seasons, making great cases, but it's just nowhere in the same stratosphere of his case and what he's doing with this team is so dominant. So uh, he's definitely the, the, my favorite to win MVP, and now it's going to be like, is he going to be unanimous or not? That's, that's So question. go on, is, is he, will he actually be unanimous? Will he join Steph Curry? Can I say if, if they win 70 games, yes. Oh, sure. They, you can if, say whatever you want. If it was a yes or no, if it was a conditional yes or no, the condition on the yes or no, if they win 70 games, Giannis is the second unanimous MVP. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you guys already said it all. It's it's just right. But the guys averaging thirty, if you're averaging thirty, fourteen, and six, and your team's winning seventy games, like they're they're just like Nick Nurse has, I think, has one of the most compelling coaches of your candidates in a long time. That's one of the more compelling MVP cases in a, in a very long time. Yeah, I, I in a way, I kind of you, I kind of wish that the Lakers and Bucks had were a little bit closer. Uh, together in the standings because I do think that the season that LeBron's had is one which. If it wasn't for Giannis any, almost any other year, you'd be, we'd be talking about LeBron uh, winning a fifth MVP award. It is worth pointing out that if Giannis does go on to do it, he would become just the third player in NBA history to win two of them by the age of 29 or 25, joining LeBron and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who also did it in Milwaukee. I think if they get 60 wins, he's unanimous. 60? They could win 59 games. He's probably still going to be unanimous. <laughs> LeBron, I mean, LeBron, don't get me wrong. LeBron's been incredible. And, uh, you know, he's leading the NBA in assists. He is almost certainly going to take it to another level to make sure that his team gets that one seed. And I really am just, I'm not sure what LeBron James would have to do to even steal a vote from Giannis. I think as long as the Bucks, you know, continue on the pace that they will, which I don't see why they wouldn't, I think Giannis is going to be unanimous. Well, there we have it. Giannis cruising to a second straight MVP. Will the Bucks win 70 games? Will Giannis win, win another MVP? Will he be unanimous? Three of the biggest questions heading into the second half of the regular season. That's it for us here in Chicago, wrapping up another all-star extravaganza. For Kyle Irving, for Gil McGregor, for Alex Novick, I'm Mike Adams. Thanks for tuning in right here to NBA Sound System. Keep it locked and updating your feed nonstop throughout the second half of the season. 
We'll catch you next time.